Good morning podcast and welcome to a new episode. I hope you're having an amazing day and that you're ready for yet another awesome episode with one of our special guests. Our guest today is Ben Moon. Ben is a Sony ambassador, photographer and filmmaker shooting mainly adventure and lifestyle who's had a life transforming journey in his late 20s. He had a colorectal cancer fought it, survived it, and ever since that experience, you can say, he completely shifted what he wanted to tell through his images and his films. Recently, he's had one of his films go viral, a short film about his relationship between him and his dog, especially during the rough times, during his disease. And this short film is beautiful. I highly encourage you to watch it because we're going to dig into the details, the story, how it happened, how it went viral, uh, how it came to life. And you'll see it's not just a project that came easily. There was a lot of work involved. And I think you will absolutely love it. So everything is linked in the description. On top of that, we'll be talking about how to work with the best brands, meaning the brands that fit you the most. How do you find your creativity? How do you go a little bit beyond what you're used to? And how can you shift focus in your life? And, and what are the most important elements for Ben, for example, in his work lately that maybe were not there before? So I hope you will enjoy that wide-ranging conversation with Ben. Again, remember, if you love the episode, leave it a five-star rating on iTunes or any platform of your choice and come say hi to us on Instagram or on Twitter. Everything is linked below. Now, with no further ado, let's welcome Ben to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me, Pierre. Thank you so much for taking the time, Ben. I discovered your work, uh, like I was saying, about a year plus ago, I would say, when we met at Sony Kendo and everyone was talking about you. And then I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> I need to check out his work. And I absolutely fell in love with that uh, storytelling aspect of yours and, um, and that unique way that you're trying to present people in a way and their story. And also uh, the piece you did with uh, Denali was obviously very beautiful. I'll, we'll talk a bit more about it, but I kind of have a, like a questions to, to, to get started in, in, in this conversation. And it would be if, if you thought that any, when you started your journey, let's say as a photographer and even as a climber, did you ever think that you would have a period in your life that would be as difficult as it was uh, when you, I think, hit 29 years old? Um, you know, when I, when I started my career, I was just honestly just taking pictures of, um, you know, I was climbing a lot and I was just taking pictures of the lifestyle that I was living and those that were, that I was with. And, you know, I started, started shooting for Patagonia and companies like that. And I was just getting established and really starting to, um, feel like I could make it as a, as a professional photographer. Um, and adventure photography was my focus. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you know, you never, you never expect something so dramatic. I mean, when you're in your twenties, you, you don't even think about your mortality that much. It's just kind of, yeah. a, and even when you're climbing, you're, you're always just, you don't like to think about that a lot because it's, you know, the consequences of, uh, you know, something happening with climbing is, are pretty dire. Um, and yeah, so when, when I got sick, it, it was pretty, it really shifted the things a lot because before then I think I was more focused on a little bit more on achievement and people that were, you know, performing at a really high level and, and, and focusing on my own climbing and, you know, really pushing myself as well. Um, and then when you suddenly have all that stripped away and you can't, you know, you can't hardly even get out of the hospital bed. It's, it just really shifts things for you. And so, um, 
yeah, it was, it was a, it, it really shifted my work and it really shifted me as a person as well, because I feel like it, your priorities have no choice but to change because you're just in it for survival. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I started becoming more, a lot more interested in how we're connected and, and our friendships, because that's really all you have when, when your physical capacities are stripped away, it's your friendships, your relationships, um, those who are there for you. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's a whole different set of rules almost. And, and I, so, so I, I kind of shifted away from people. Um, I still, I mean, I still work with a lot of athletes, but it was, it was more, I was more interested in their stories and, and who they were behind, behind all those, um, you know, that athletic uh, prowess, so to speak. So. Yeah. It's, it's something, especially in, in that world or in athletes, we always focus on the achievement or like, Oh, you did this. Oh, you're the one who achieved that. But, um, a little less on the story, I feel. And I'm asking that question for the simple reason that I personally feel that um, we take a lot of what we have in life for granted. And I think COVID has shown that to <laughs> a massive amount of people at the same time without having to go through extremes like uh, maybe you did. I mean, maybe some of them did. But for the masses, it's just been a shift of lifestyle. And, and that's why I'm curious, like, does anything ever prepare you ahead of time or do you have a gut feeling that, Oh, something could go wrong or like at one point, you know, later on, or it's just something you never think about. It just happens. I mean, I I feel like going through cancer and surviving that really made me realize that, you know, at a moment, in a moment's notice, things can be taken away. And I guess the parallel that I would make to, um, you know, this pandemic and the situation right now is, um, when I got sick, I was forced to stop and I was forced to look at everything and forced to be with myself and everything that that entails. It's like you, you're forced to be with all the good and the bad. And, and, you know, obviously that was a lot more dire when, you know, I was fighting for my life. Um, but the one thing I've noticed and I've seen kind of ripple across the community and the globally as well is, you know, we're all in this together and we're all going through a lot of the same, you know, anxieties and, you know, for health and for financial reasons and, you know, it's, everybody's going through some level of either mental health struggle or physical health or, you know, or, you know, just trying to figure out how to pay the bills. Um, you know, especially Mm -hmm. as creatives, a lot of us just, I mean, I had nine months of work just disappear, you know, like a lot of things that were on the docket and I had a lot of my book tour got stopped, you know, and, and, and then, you know, a lot of speaking engagements, there were just, there was no, nobody to speak to anymore. You know, it was like, they yeah. couldn't gather. And so, but what has been interesting about it is seeing those that as a, as a, as a rule, I feel like a lot of creatives and athletes and anybody, you know, we all pursue passions for the love of it, but also sometimes just to run away from the mm. things that we don't really want to face. You know, and I see a lot yeah. of athletes do that. And a, a lot of people are always on the road and go, 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 go. And then when you're suddenly forced to stop and actually be present, that just, it, it really, it, it was a shock to a lot of people. And I think a lot, you know, people had to deal with some really heavy stuff and that everybody has re- responded to that differently. And, but I think it's, it's forced us to grow globally in a, as a, in a way and that, nothing really has in our lifetime. You know, we've all kind of, it's like, it, it's this, there's no, everybody is affected by this. A lot of people are blissfully trying to ignore it, um, but yeah. it's, it's, it catches up with everyone. And so it, it's a, 
you know, there's a lot of hope on the horizon with, you know, just the shift to um, shift in this country, you know, with the elections and then also with with um, the hope for some viruses coming or viruses, uh, vaccines. <laughs> there already <laughs> is a virus. Yeah. Um, yeah, the vaccines that are, you know, have some promising um, promising results from from those. And so there is a, you know, a lot of hope on the horizon, but it's still it's it's a it's a scary time. And, you know, I'd I'd kind of put everything on pause this year to focus on getting the book out there and to finish building my home. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, building a house, everything always goes over budget. And when, you know, it's like <laughs> I, I can survive on a, on a little, but when you have, you know, the bank needs, you'd have it done at a certain date, you have to yeah. meet deadlines. And when, when you're not working, it's, it's a lot more challenging. So, um, there's been, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting year to just manage that anxiety and of just the unknown and not knowing what's next and, mm-hmm. um, and figuring out how, and, and also just, it's a really introspective look at what, what do you, you know, what do I want to create next and what, yeah. what do I actually want to work on and what, what kind of people do I want to work with and what kind of projects do I want to work on? And it really helped. There was a lot of time to think, um, during this and, um, and, you know, decide, you know, what, what matters moving forward. And, um, you know, I, I feel really fortunate to be living in an area. I moved out to the Oregon coast and as far as a place to be, um, you know, isolated or quarantined, it's, it's probably one of the most beautiful places I could ever ask for. You know, I can walk (laughs) to the surf, I can walk to the beach with my dog and, you know, there's, you know, life kind of went on as normal and we've been really fortunate in this County, um, that it's, it's been, a lot less harder, you know, Hmm. um, hasn't been hit as hard. Um, it's, um, lately I've seen a little uptick in cases because I think people are just there. They have fatigue of just (laughs) following precautions, but, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been a good place to be. Um, but I definitely miss travel right now. I I miss it a lot. And, um, so it's, it's been, I, I spend a lot of time with my parents moved out from Michigan, um, three or four years ago to this area. And I spent a lot of time Mm. with my dad. And so I've been really trying to be really careful because, you know, yeah, uh, my mom's diabetic and higher risk. And I just want to, I just want to be, be careful because I spent a lot of time with them. So, yeah, that makes sense. It's a, it's the fine balance of you want to, I mean, everyone wants to live his own life without caring. And then you want to care about the people you care about. And then you want to be mindful. So it's a, yeah. And and I, what I find out is that there is no right answer. And it, yeah. <laughs> and everything you do is I, I don't know about you but it's like you you either go one extreme or the other or you're in the middle but there is never a perfect way of doing things because if you break down everything there is always a scenario where sh- shit can go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can be so. so careful and still make one mistake and then it doesn't matter anyway. So or you can just get really lucky and just live your life as as normal and exactly. never have it. But I, I've only had one friend that's actually come down with COVID, and you know he he was in, uh, he was training for um, the baseball the major league baseball season, and you know was which he was training in Florida, and they didn't have any mm-hmm. restrictions at all there, and so he he went out to eat a couple of times, and he's pretty sure he got it there, and it kind of threw mm-hmm. his whole season off, and so um, but fortunately he recovered, but. But yeah, it's I've I ha, I it's funny that I haven't been inside a restaurant since you know February. <laughs> it's it's just a weird feeling, you know, to to not. Yeah. I mean, and they did open it back up here, but I just it just didn't feel worth it to me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. for sure. 
<laughs> yeah. I think I've been once in all that time, except when I went to French Polynesia, which at the time had almost zero cases. Zero, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's a strange feeling. How, how, do you feel that creatively it shifted things for you, or even in in your community and your surroundings? Do you feel that there's been a shift? Um, yeah, I mean, I think like I said before, it just it made me really think about what I wanted to tell stories about, and and also with you know the the Black Lives Matter movement and everything, like it made me just really want to be just think really critically about the work that I'm doing and who I collaborate with and how how I can do things differently later mm-hmm. on and. And just, so yeah, this year has been a lot of kind of recalibration of a little bit of everything in, in a lot of ways, so. Yeah, uh, especially with with the kind of work uh, we do as creatives, we do have some power to actually shift mindsets, at least a little bit. We, you don't need a lot, but sometimes a nudge in the right direction is all it takes for people to discover something new or, or see things differently. Um, how can, can we talk quickly about Denali because that's that's kind of your short that kind of blew up and uh, I'll link it below for anyone I'll link the book and also the the, the short for you guys to, to watch uh, why don't you just give us a little run through but before it ever went viral like when did you decide to do it and and how long between the idea and like the moment you're like okay let's start shooting how long what happened um well, when we started shooting, there was a there was a small like profile piece for a commercial client. Um, I believe it was Snow Peak. It was just a it was a really small little piece we were gonna do, and we we were I was with a couple of my creative friends here. We were kicking out around ideas, and um, I, you know, the initial idea was to kind of was to kind of explore, you know, my pull toward you know. Cause the two main things I loved was rock, were rock climbing in the ocean, but they're not usually something you can do together. You know, they're always kind yeah. of a either or. And then I love being out in nature in a way and in a smaller community, but I also love, you know, being in the city. And so just trying to explore those, um, you know, those two kind of the yin yang, the dichotomy of those two s- subjects. Um, and so that was the initial idea. But then when we actually got closer to filming, um, Skip Armstrong, one of my really close friends, um, who lives over in the uh, Columbia River Gorge, he he was like, man, I, I he saw Denali, you know, we all knew Denali was towards the end of his life. He was 14 and a half, and um, he was really slowing down, and he'd already he'd already kind of bounced back from from cancer and from uh, from another surgery that kind of was made it for his breathing and and. Um, I had kind of, I had already told him, Hey, Hey man, it's, it's okay to go. It's, it's your time. It's, it's okay. And mm. when Skip saw that relationship, he's like, Hey, how about we make this about you and your dog? And so we kind of shifted the focus a bit, but we still shot in the locations, um, you know, at Smith rock where I, you know, climbed for 20 years and then here where I live now, um, on the Oregon coast. And cause those are the places that Dolly and I spent the most time. And we had some other, there was my friend, uh, Paige uh, Stephenson. He was he he was fresh out of film school, and we ha- he had some other ideas for how to kind of create that metaphor. Um, and so we we filmed a bunch of stuff. And I remember having the talk with Denali. I was like, I know I said it was okay to go, but could he just hang around for you know the rest of this month? And and so we filmed, and you know he was really he rallied, but he was definitely really tired a lot. And so I had to carry him. You know, there's a scene in the film where I'm carrying him 
at Smith Rock mm-hmm. to, to help him come out because it was just would have taken like two hours to hike out. You know, he just was really tired. And so I would carry him when I needed to. And same thing at the beach. I, we didn't show those scenes, but I carried him quite a bit there and um, just to help him um, not not wear out. And and then we finished filming. And I think it was it was only a few days later. Um, it was basically the end of end of the month. It was, it was kind of uncanny how, you know, it was like midnight on January 31st, you know, Mm. know, he just started declining and I got to take him out here to the beach where I, where I live now. And, um, one last time and he spent his last two days here. Um, but when, then we had the footage and we started, we, we made a, we made an edit and it was accepted into a film festival and we had, you know, it was a completely different piece. Um, and, and I take the, I take, uh, most of the responsibility for that because it was, I, wasn't really ready to be vulnerable. So I tried to make it more of a metaphor and Mm -hmm. less, less personal. And we're about to, you know, premiered at this, at this festival that actually premiered at as a little, little small festival and film festival in um, Colorado called five point. That was really about like personal stories. And I'd had, that's where I'd met skip. And um, I really, it really meant a lot to me to show it there. And I remember talking to Julie Kennedy, the, the, the festival director. And I said, I just, I can't do it. You know, and I talked to the other guys involved. Um, and I just, we had to pull the plug and kind of started over. And I, for about three or four or five months after that, I went through every second of footage, tried to find something to unlock in there, but it was, I was still grieving Denali's, you know, passing. Mm -hmm. And, and so it was just really hard for me to, I was too close to it. And then Mm -hmm. another friend, you know, made an attempt at it, but he was, he just was too close to me and too close to Denali too. And it just was really hard for him. And, um, uh, Ben Knight, who I, um, you know, really respected as a filmmaker, he had mentioned, um, pri- earlier that he would, was interested in doing it, but he had just finished that film damnation for Patagonia that, which took him about four years to make. And he was just exhausted from that process. And I was like, man, you need a break. Don't <laughs> let's not, let's not work on this together. And, you know, I, after we kind of exhausted all resources on my end and a lot of, a lot of my friends were just like, Hey man, move on. It's like, it's not, it's not worth focusing on this one little story. Um, you know, but something wouldn't let me let it go. And I sent, I sent Ben the drives and, you know, he, it took him another six months to even unlock it. And, um, our friend Katie Klingsborn, she, she interviewed me and got the story from me. And then, um, Ben, Ben's who ended up, um, you know, writing the, um, the narration and, you know, editing the piece. And, um, and he, yeah, he, he finally found the tone. And, um, I remember when I first, first saw the first edit, um, that he sent me, cause I, I tend to, I really love to collaborate, um, yeah. and sit, sit in and, and it was really challenging for me to just like be completely in the dark on that project. Um, once I sent the, the drives to Ben and, uh, but he tends to work in isolation and he sent me the first cut and, you know, it was, it was like 90% there. It was, it was incredible. And I just had tears soaking my phone and, um, it really captured the, the emotion that I was going for. But I knew that what I knew is that there was, there needed to be a tenderness there. And, um, but I also knew that it was really easy to make something like that, um, really cheesy. And, and Mm so Ben had that sensibility, you know, he was a, you know, a skater, but yet just the softest heart. And so I felt like he was the right person and it was really challenging for him too. He, you know, he, it, he almost gave up a few times and I, I was like, Ben, I think you're the person to tell this story. Like, I think you, it's like, if you can, 
if you can, you're the one that can do the find the tone if anybody can, you know, for this. And I just knew we needed to finish it somehow. I don't know. And then I, I think the, the most important factor of all that is I, by that time it'd been like a year and a half before I saw that edit, um, from the time of filming. And, and what I realized in that time is that it wasn't about Denali and I anymore. It needed to be something far greater. It needed to be relatable. And, and I think that's the biggest lesson I learned from that film is that if you can, yes, you're telling a story of a person, but you have to make other people feel their own, see Mm. themselves in that story. And, and that's really stuck with me and everything I've done from then on. And, um, and yeah, when we released it, you know, the, it won the first festival kind of swept it. It was won the best of the festival and people's choice. And then at, at mountain film, you know, was the second one. And it, 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 uh, premiered with, or it showed before May Rue, Jimmy Chin's film, uh, Jimmy mm-hmm. Chai's film and about, um, Conrad and, um, uh, Renan and, and Jimmy doing that climb, um, shark's fin. And, um, it, it was a real honor to open for, for, uh, a film like that. Um, but what the cool thing about it there was it was in the top four or five films for the people's choice. Um, but all the other films that were in that were feature films that had, you know, massive budgets. We're talking millions yeah. of dollars and Denali was made for <laughs> low, 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 low six figure, you know, or not six figure, five figures, you know, like it was a very low budget. Like, I mean, it was a scrape by ask favor sort of thing. And, you know, we had a few sponsors, but they basically just covered the base expenses and not really anybody's time. So, um, so it was cool to see it be that, that popular there at that, at a festival that I really, I mean, mountain film is, I missed that place dearly this year. It's like, there were a few things I really was looking forward to. And one of those is the Sony condo event where you and I met, Hmm. um, where they gather all the creatives. And, and I feel like mountain film is that for, um, the filmmaking community and the, also just the conservation and the cultural, it's just like a, it's such a melting pot of all the things and all the people that I really care about and the stories that are told there. Right? It just, it kind of is, it's almost like this retreat. Um, hmm. and it's not so much even the films, it's just being around the people that um, really motivate me to go out there and find those stories and tell stories. And so, um, but then when it, you know, we released it online that summer, uh, so like a few weeks after, uh, mountain film and, you know, the first day was about 5,000 views. Um, just my friends were sharing it. And then I remember I was sleeping on my deck in Portland because um, it was really hot um, that week. And my phone was off and I turned it on in the morning and it just exploded with messages. You know, it's like and that by that evening, by the second day, I think it had a million views. And, wow. you know, it was just it was, you know, I'd hired a small PR firm to help with it to get it out there. Um, but it was it was oddly these little blogs that were the ones that were sharing it that kind of helped spark it. And then, um, I still see waves of it going around, but by the end of the week, I think we had 8 million views, but I was on, I was on phone calls with people, you know, reporters from all over the world. And I had news trucks like stalking my house and I was just kind of like, I didn't know it. I mean, I wasn't ready for it. And so I, (laughs) I was, I was in, you know, I had no preparation to kind of be ready to handle that sort of thing. And, um, or any help, you know, it was a very much like it, it just was, I was losing my voice by 10 AM every day. Um, <laughs> and so hey, there are trucks in front of my house. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't talk to any of those reporters. I was like, if you're, if you're hanging outside my house, I, I'm sorry, that's not good. <laughs> um, and then it went on, you know, Oprah put it on her super soul Sunday show, which was, you know, pretty incredible. 
um, they did, they cut it down to like a five minute piece. And, um, but it, um, I think the process from the, the four years that followed that, like I, I, I remember talking to John Krakauer, um, the author and he, you know, he's like, Hey Ben, if, if you have any desire to write about this story, like now would be the time because you know, it's hard to, it's hard. The publishing world is really challenging. And so I took a year and a half. I worked with his editor, Mark Bryant and, and created a book proposal and, and, you know, which basically was a, an outline of the entire piece. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, it was, um, it, uh, it took a long time for me to get that story out. And in that time I got my new, new pup, uh, Nori, and that really helped me to write that, you know, get that proposal out because it also reminded me of all the reasons why dogs are so special in our lives mm. and that friendship and how powerful they are. And, but in that process, going back to what I said before about it's, um, it has to be relatable. I, I knew that the only way that the book was gonna, going to matter, um, or be worth the effort would be if it, um, was relatable and other people could see themselves in that story. And I'd gotten thousands or tens of thousands of emails and messages after the Denali film came out. And a lot of people just, you know, they related so deeply and it was pretty overwhelming, but I knew, and I also knew that I'd lost, um, I think I'd lost four friends to colon cancer in that time while I was writing the book. And three of them were under the age of, under the, under the age of 40, and that oh. really, really made me realize how important it was to just raise awareness about how deadly that disease was. And I, I was, you know, I had a bit of survivor's guilt um, that somehow I had made it. And I really wanted to share my story in the hopes that other people could. I was like, if it, it saves one life, it's going to be worth it. To, yeah. Because to, some people are, they dream of writing a book. And for me, it was more of a it was, it was a really challenging process. You know, it wasn't necessarily yeah. a, a fun thing. And, and when I look back at it now, it was a pretty romantic time because I was starting to plan on building my house, but I was living in my camper van. And so I'd park at the beach every day and I'd surf and write, but it, the, the process wasn't exactly <laughs> enjoyable. You know, it's like torture because all you're doing is thinking about deadlines and w- what you should be writing. And, and so you might procrastinate for eight hours and actually write for like, you know, half an hour, hour. Um, <laughs> every night. And so it it was, you know, it took four years to fully write the book, but, um, it's been incredible, honestly, this year to see the parts of the book that resonated with people that I didn't expect. You know, I shared a lot about my, I went way back in the story. It's not, it's not a read, you know, a recap of the short film. It's a much deeper, much deeper look at life and friendship and, and just overcoming struggles. And, and, it's been really interesting to, you know, see what has resonated. And I talk a lot about being like a shy kid, um, you know, that had a lot of anxiety, even as a, at a really young age and just talked about, you know, overcoming that shyness and, um, just being a sensitive, you know, man too. It's like a lot of times male vulnerability isn't isn't spoken of or, or Mm -hmm. highly regarded culturally in, in, you know, in Western society. And so I feel like, it was really important to just share, share some of that. And, and it's, I've gotten a a lot of really, really, um, incredible messages that have made, made that feel worthwhile. So. Yeah. It's, it's not about how many people lives you change. It's like, I feel especially with whenever we create something that's a little personal, it's not like, Oh, I want to change a million people's life. It's like, can I help one person at least? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
And lately it's been interesting because we're, um, I'm working with, um, uh, director Max Winkler and uh, the actor, Charlie Hunnam, um, English actor that, um, on, and some producers to adapt the book into a film. Um, Hmm. and right now the plan is to film in the spring. Um, and the book really, when I first had the conversation with Max and Charlie, I knew that they really understand the point of the book. Um, they went back way back into my story. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not a remake of the short film at all. It's, 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 it really goes into the coming of age part of the, part of the thing and learning how to rebuild life after a lot of challenges and, um, and also just learning how to be a creative, you know, I was li- <laughs> my, my, um, my time as a creative was, was, uh, you know, I, I, I got my first camera when I was living out of my, um, back of a Subaru and then I got bought a camper van and, you know, so I was just learning how to use it and it was a film camera cause digital wasn't, it was happening, but it was, you know, incredibly, um, young in, in, in its infancy at that point. Yeah. Um, I didn't get my first digital camera until about five years later. So I shot, mm-hmm. shot slide film until then. And, and my first digital camera, I think was like a eight megapixel Canon one DS, <laughs> um, that I think retailed for around six grand. And <laughs> I mean, I, iPhones take better, far yeah. better photos now than that thing. Um, there's no latitude in the shadows. It was just complete fall off. Um, but you know, that was in 2005, I think is when I got that. Um, so it's incredible to see, you know, I shot Nikon for five years and then Canon for a decade and then switched over to Sony, I think six, six or seven years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it's just incredible to see the technological advances, but also just, um, coming full circle. I remember writing the book and was trying to figure out how, to wrap up the story. And, and all of a sudden I was sitting in, you know, sitting at the beach and I realized I was like, here I am. I'm living in my van with my dog. I'm single. And this is how the story started. You know, <laughs> so it was kind of, it was kind of this weird full circle moment, you know, uh, almost 20 years later. And it was just a crazy kind of, or, or I don't know, it's just a crazy, uh, feeling to realize that that, you know, now I'm, building a home and, you know, I just started, um, living in one of the rooms, uh, just a couple, couple nights ago. So it, <laughs> it feels, it feels really good to have a, um, space to work out of again, um, other than the van. Um, I mean, van life is, uh, romanticized and it, it is wonderful. I mean, it is, there's something about being really self, you know, um, having everything you need with, with you at all times. Um, but, van life is challenging. You know, you have, you only have a certain amount of space and you have to, everything you do, you have to pick up and clean up and move. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're always reshuffling gear and it's every day is like half the day is spent just trying to figure out how to, you know, (laughs) deal with the basic, basic elements of life. So there is no uh, gear room. (laughs) There's no gear. I mean, you have, (laughs) yeah, I mean, there's, you have stuff in the back, but then, you know, when I first started, shooting i was you know scanning slides and submitting them via fedex you know and and i would have i'd pull out this all my pelican cases and all my you know these bins and just set up my printer set up my scanner set up my laptop and my second monitor and and then you know would be say in the parking lot at smith rock and then somebody would knock on the door and be like hey are you ready to go climb yet and you you open they open the door and like what are you doing here it's just got wires and things everywhere and and now obviously it's 
it's shifted where it's, you know, we have our phones are practically computers, you know, and yeah, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, there is a beauty to just hitting the road and, and finding just waking up to wherever you are and finding being, um, open to whatever comes that day. But uh, I'm definitely ready to kind of move into the next chapter. I, you know, when we can gather again, I really, I felt a lot in the last few years that I just, there's, I want to start giving back in some way, you know, I've mm-hmm. been shooting for almost 20 years now. And part of the reason why this house has taken me so long to build is I built a, a, a edit studio and a, you know, it's a tall garage space that can, can double as a photo studio and film production spot. And so I would love to be able to, you know, hold workshops and, um, you know, have film screenings and do more mentorship type programs. And, um, that's kind of the end goal right now is to be able to start figuring out how to, um, get back in that way. Um, and I still love shooting. I still love telling stories. Um, but I, I just, it's, there's so much joy in seeing someone else have that spark ignite for yeah. them and their creativity. So. Yeah, that's true. It's, uh, yeah, it's priceless. It's like help. I mean, it's like you said, like you help one person and it doesn't matter how, but uh, then it ch- kind of changes the course of their own life. So it's, it's pretty awesome. I, I read something, I think it was one of your interview and you were talking about remarkable versus relatable in stories you like to share. And um, the, the, before we get into that, I just want to say your full circle I kind of like what you're saying here because it sounds like you're closing almost with the book, that chapter with Van Life, not saying that it's not happening anymore, but it's like you're finishing it in the van and then now you're, you just spend a few nights in, in the room. Um, and it's almost like you have a full documentation or collection of that early journey you had or early. I mean, as long as <laughs> let's call it early because we don't know how long life is, but like that first part, And uh, I find that really beautiful. Um, it's something that, you know, when you're older, you're like, oh, yeah, here's the first part of, of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, it really does feel like different chapters of life. I find that when I look back at things and just my own personal patterns and relationships and, um, you know, set the, the, what is it that they say, I don't know how scientifically um based it is but they say like seven every seven years we regenerate all the cells in our body you know and and just kind of have this these seven year cycles and um denali lived for 14 years and it's like some things come in these double cycles and mm-hmm. you know dogs lives are kind of like two of our human human kind of we i feel like everything that i've done has always gone in these seven year waves and um mm. i've recently had a relationship end and I just thought back to some of the patterns and I was like, Whoa, this is almost the same thing that happened to me 14 years ago. It's like, it's a, or like the same sort of experience. Yeah. You just like, well, and that makes you like look really critically. Like, well, how could I, how, what part did I play in this? And what was I looking for? And what, what do I want to do differently next time? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I feel like that's, what's one interesting thing about having a dog as a companion is they're, they're with you for that such a stretch of time. And they're almost this, mirror and like you kind of look back like whoa this is this happened but they, their lives are so much shorter than ours and and many times and and so we have to appreciate their lifespan but they've kind of forced us to look really critically at where where we're at right then and um they're, they're not judging you but they also kind of are these mirrors where you're like oh yeah <laughs> if you see them stressed out you then usually i know if nori's stressed out i'm it means that i'm i'm i need to sit down and take some deep breaths or 
go go for a surf. Oh, that's or something. interesting. Yeah, I never, I never had a dog except when I was like very young. But the dog went kind of cuckoo, and yeah, they had to let it go. Um, started like eating socks and attacking anyone with glasses, which became really dangerous uh, because it was a German Shepherd. So yeah, you don't want that to jump on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but always had cats in my life and cats are so different <laughs> where it's like everyone's living in their own life you know they're they're here but then they're like they're just parallel to you you know just yeah they like kind of drop in whenever they feel they're kind of those yeah, friends exactly, that you, know, exactly. you know we're going to show up at the party but they're not necessarily the ones that are going to be there for you either <laughs> yeah so. versus my wife had a dog for like most of her childhood and and like when she was a teenager and like late and, until like think mid twenties, and she will say like you sh like the dogs are kind of always there during those different times, and you can look back and remember those moments or when the dog helped you. But like at no point the dog was like yeah like judging you or it's like it's always loving you no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> unless you don't you know get outside and get some exercise, then they're they're a little bit yeah. frustrated. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a and honestly I. I am so grateful, you know, obviously I said before that to be living in a place like this during this time, but also I'm really grateful that I had a, a dog as a companion too. I mean, I can't imagine going yeah. through the whole initial, especially the initials, you know, March and April of last year when it felt like, um, a decade had passed. <laughs> it was the, this time expanded and contracted last year, like uh, this past year, like no other. It was like some months which just flew by and some months felt like they were just every day was like three months, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think it, that's in any part of life, you know, it was magnified when I was going through cancer, but the uncertainty part is what always is the hardest to deal with. And I think early on in the pandemic when we knew nothing about it, hmm. other than it was this dangerous thing, it was just, it was, it made, it just, it creates a lot of anxiety when you don't, the unknown is so vast, you know, especially yeah. when work, work is going away too and nobody knows what's going to happen. And, um, and so yeah, having a, having a dog there just as a steady sort of companion was really special. Good reminder that uh, life is not just outside. It's also inside and <laughs> having yeah. people around. Um, yeah, that's 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 pretty awesome. I love so going back to remarkable versus relatable. How how has that affected your work? You would say, um, especially in storytelling. I find that uh, I'm just gonna give a little context. I feel like whenever I share things or when I talk with some photographers, like a lot of people are, are looking for that one piece that will blow everyone's mind or that will be like, wow, this is crazy. Um, but it's not. I feel like it's not necessarily just about the visual. It's also what sometimes the meaning. And I find it kind of difficult sometimes to explain that to people because, you know, you, you look at social media and it's so easy to see stuff go viral. So people chase whatever went viral. Um, do, do you have any like take on, yeah, on that concept of remarkable versus relatable? Um, well, I feel like, you know, there are, you know, if you have the opportunity to tell a remarkable story or about someone's uh, remarkable achievement, whatever that is for you, you know, that that's worth, worth telling and it might resonate with others, but what's going to really have the longest impact and feel, you know, probably touch more lives and, and in a deeper way. I mean, remarkable feels like it puts this barrier between yourself and whoever this person is on the pedestal. Um, whereas, 
um, something that's relatable, we can all see ourselves in that story. And I feel like um, the other thing is, is if you're always going through for the remarkable, you're probably looking at other people's work that did go viral or is out there. People have massive followings and, and you're probably not going to find your own voice. Um, Mm. You're probably just emulating and, and you know, there's a, there's always a level in everyone's creative journey of looking at every, every other people's work and, 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 you know, kind of copying it or, you know, just, copying the concepts and making it your own. And I mean, that's, there's nothing new about that it happens in music and photography and film and, you know, patterns repeat themselves over and over and over, but you have to find your own voice within that. But when you're telling a story that is relatable or you find, you find someone that has a really human story that, you know, can actually feel attainable or feel like someone else could put themselves in their shoes. I feel like that has such a longer lasting impact and also if you find a personal project that is really meaningful for you and truly feels like it has longevity and something that really you're so passionate about, it's going to show in your work and other people are going to be able to relate to that in some way. It might not be everyone. It might not be the masses. You might not get millions of followers for it. But if you find your own voice, it's going to have the longest lasting impact because um, it'll ripple through all of your work, you know, and mm. I feel like there's so much focus on all these social media platforms these days. Like, I mean, Instagram obviously is for photographers and filmmakers is a great way of getting information out there. And, you know, I use Twitter for news and research and, um, you know, I, but I also see that, you know, you have a massive following on, on Instagram, that platform could go away tomorrow. You know, it's like, Mm. you know, I saw MySpace and then Facebook just kind of, passed by the wayside, you know, and they're still around, you know, or MySpace isn't, but Facebook is still around, but it's, nobody uses that as a creative platform. And then obviously a lot of that had to do with Facebook, just completely throttling the algorithm. So you could, if you shared something, you had to pay to have it seen, you know, and, and Instagram in a lot of ways is messing with that now too. And so who knows what's next, you know, and, and I try not to focus too much on, on those platforms, but also remember that what is actually like keeping the fire burning and, yeah, you have to make a living. You got to figure out what to do, but trying to focus on what you can actually do that sustains you creatively is more important than just mm. numbers, you know? And so, and I think that ties back into the relatability because if you're doing something you're passionate about, other people are going to see that and relate to it. But if you're only chasing the like big splashes, like, you know, overnight success usually leads to overnight fall from success too. And, and then yeah. like people move on, you know? And so, yeah, that's that. That ties with some something someone told me back when I kind of started YouTube and stuff, or sharing there. They're like, it might seem counterintuitive, or you might not understand it, but you don't want to go viral tomorrow, especially not early, especially not early. And uh, at the time, I didn't really maybe grasp it. I was like, well, it's a shortcut. Why not? Do you, why don't you want a shortcut? And <laughs> The more you progress in your journey, or even as a photographer, the more you realize, well, uh, I've seen people literally go viral, but they had nothing left behind in, in, in terms of like content or, or ideas or anything. And it's almost where you want to make sure you, you're building up yourself creatively, you're finding your own voice, and then that explodes. And then that can splash back onto all your other work versus uh, the contrary where it's like, and then the pressure is so high, you know, <laughs> you create something great and then it's like, oh, um, yeah, is the next piece going to be as good, you know? Yeah. Um, I felt like it's a lot of pressure. Well, it's, yeah, it creates an expectation that 
everything you do is going to be like that. But also, I mean, you know, any creative endeavor you get, you know, you sort of like from from the film world, you know, it's like or from the you know actors get typecast because they have the one big role. And, you know, mm. as a creative, if you have that one thing that gets seen by everyone, everybody kind of expects everything else to kind of feel like that, you know. And yeah. And I've always kind of been, you know, shooting for Patagonia, I was never, I would shoot a lot of different, across a lot of different uh, activities and types of things. Um, And, you know, I never fit into any one category as far as like climbing or surfing or, you know, any other things like that. It was always like, I was more of, they kind of called me their utility shooter. You know, I would, I was, I loved the lifestyle aspect and the behind the scenes sort of thing. Um, But I could do those other things, but with my work, I feel like I'm constantly trying to reinvent everything always plays into everything else, but it's always trying to find projects that help keep me motivated. Hmm. And then, but I usually cyclically kind of rotate through the things too. Like I hadn't shot in the ocean for a long time. And I recently made a film with a musician who's a surfer. Um, um, his name's Griff, but his band name's called Goth Babe. But I, we made a little documentation of his story and um, I spent a lot of time with a new a7s3 and shooting in the ocean with the and it was just it was so fun to be back in the water shooting again and i realized how much i missed that but i you know for a long time i was just and moving here i surf almost every day but i hadn't been actually shooting that much and so um it made me want to get back into it and and sometimes that's just the project because that you know the project with with goth babe actually made me want to get in the ocean to get a different perspective instead of just shooting from land. But also it was, um, you know, the, the technology too, you know, that camera could, you know, shoot, um, you know, 120 frames at four on four at four K and had just really beautiful mm. low late capabilities. And a lot of the best light, um, surfing is later in the evening when everything's backlit yeah. and super beautiful and being able to shoot at high SOs and not worry about it. Um, in <laughs> at 120 frames was just, just so without having to have like a big housing for, you know, one of the other types of cinema cameras, it was, it was really incredible to just be swimming around with a small <laughs> water housing, which is kind of how I started. You know, when I first started shooting, I was in Hawaii on Kauai when I got my first water housing and, you know, swinging around with a little, little housing and, um, capturing this different perspective. Um, and so it was really fun to run around with that. And then I planned on shooting some of it on my FS7 too. And, ended up shooting the whole piece on, on the A7S3 cause it was just so fun <laughs> to be able to be that nimble, you know? And, yeah. and, um, yeah, it's, it, like I said, sometimes it's the, you don't know what's going to spark things. Sometimes technology can help us motivate to do something. Sometimes it's the, um, just a project that motivates us, but, um, just finding, finding that spark. And I think that's been really important during this forced pause this year is just finding something that actually keeps you motivated. Cause I think a lot of people have struggled with anxiety and not, and that can, that can freeze you up. You know, it makes you, Hmm. um, it can make you just not know, kind of feel aimless and not know what's next. And so, yeah, that's true. I I love what you're saying with the SMS three. I, I also luckily have it and, uh, it's just, it's just insane at night. (laughs) I was, so when I was in Polynesia, we managed to shoot, I was shooting the Milky Way handheld. Like I was filming the Milky Way handheld. I was like, what is, <laughs> is this sorcery? What is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is- I know when Renan and Taylor 
made that first piece with the you know the slack liner for the full moon yeah. and everything and just yeah it, that's how i felt the first time i looked at the back of that camera too i was like wow how is this possible like well, how am i seeing it sees more than my eyes can see right now and and i'm doing it without any giant tripods or gimbals or anything like that which is <laughs> yeah that's crazy so in, in a way i feel like creatively it's it's almost like um it's like you say like you you don't have to get the big gear necessarily as you might have during a phase before and i feel like this is kind of freeing uh also a creativity where you don't have to worry oh it's too dark i can't shoot that anymore you know uh i feel like that's i don't know how it's gonna pan out but i feel like it's gonna change a lot of content that we're gonna see in the next few years because shooting what i shot was would just be impossible for me like literally just just with that you know yeah <laughs> i was like um, on a tiny boat moving and you're like 24 frames per second you can see the milky way and the people on the boat and you're like what <laughs> yeah how is this possible and i mean i think that's that's an important point too because oftentimes i, I work with a lot of dps you know on on film projects and they get so focused on the gear package you know and And then they always want to expand it. They always want to make it more complex. And, and, you know, that's fine and all. And it's, it's good to have the tools you need to tell the story. But when the focus shifts too much to the gear or your rigs, you know, especially on a documentary project, you know, if it's a narrative, it's, I get it. You know, you're, you're blocking out the scenes and you have, you know, you have more mm. time. But for me, the most magical moments in filmmaking usually happen when you're not expecting it. And if you have too much gear and you're like, you know, it's whether it's you need all these assistants or if you need, you know, you just can't be nimble enough to actually change. You see something happening and it's good to be able to wrap up whatever you're doing and then shift focus to a moment that just, you know, you, um, an unre unrepeatable moment. Oftentimes, you know, you can't always, you can't plan for those. And so the more nimble you can be and, you know, finding people that are really, okay with veering from what you had planned um is really important um and and i try to work with filmmakers and you know cinematographers that share that vision because it's so much more fun because you're always i feel like you're it's you're just constantly just adding all these ingredients to the pot like you know just while you're working and it, it's, it becomes this it's a true collaboration then yeah and then there's so many elements beyond that you know obviously the the score and the sound design and everything else um and the color matter incredibly but while you're on set being able to you know feel things out and shoot in the moment is really important so yeah i i sent so i was chatting with a friend um the other day and earlier also and uh i was just sending him a few of your pieces of your your films and uh i think i sent him denali and, and his reaction was like i'm not crying you're crying <laughs> 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 because he has had a dog for like 15 years too like his whole childhood um and then i sent him i think it was the one on on the grizzlies uh grizzly yeah, mountain gri uh grizzly country grizzly, grizzly county uh, yeah, country doug peacock yeah yeah beautiful like love the storytelling here and um and what he what he mentioned to me is that it it feels very organic like the way you the way it's presented the way it shoots uh or the, the, yeah the, the final piece feels very organic which is something i appreciate which is something also um maybe i don't know if it's an influence from patagonia but whenever patagonia has artists it's also very organic i feel it's not like you know in your face uh effects and fast uh fast pace <laughs> what's happening um and and yeah it's so 
I understand what what you're trying to say here. Like if you have small gear, you can stay in the moment. You don't have to worry too much about what's happening or how. And like, oh, let's redo this scene where you just laughed. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not gonna feel the same. Yeah, and we, you know that grizzly country we were with, you know, Doug, and he was, you know, he's in his mid seventies, and you know, had, you know, it's not. He would get tired, and you know, he we would have a certain amount of tolerance for a camera being around, you know, and so we had mm. to make sure we were making the most of all our time with him, and you know, then we'd sit down. And the other thing too is in the interviews, um, you know, with the, the one with with Doug and Grizzly Country, and then the the ones I made with uh, my friend Daniel Norris, the, the pitcher for the Tigers. He, uh, you know, off season and beyond the off season, a lot those. Both of those films came from, I think, three different interviews, um, just sitting down and and chatting, and um, and I I don't I try not to script the voiceover or too much if I if I can help it because it just it really changes the tone. And so if you yeah. can get someone if you can capture someone in the moment speaking to something, it's so much more emotional because you know most people are we're uh, filming with aren't voice actors, you know? And so they, they're not just going to come back to that emotion right then. And so if you can capture it in the moment with them, and sometimes that takes, you know, I like to do an interview at the beginning of a production. And then, you know, once you've gained more trust, they have another interview and then maybe a, a wrap up at the end just to see. And we're talking like, you know, 30 to 40, 45 minutes. We're not talking like three hour mm-hmm. interviews, you know, just kind of getting, getting these um, pieces of information then, and then, you know, letting the story unfold from there and the visuals and everything. And so that's kind of how I like to work. Some, some people love to block this, you know, storyboard the entire thing out and have very specific questions and have, you know, there's, there's, if you're working for a client, obviously sometimes you need to tell a very specific story, but yeah. a lot of times it's best if it's just pulled from, from a moment instead of read off a script. So yeah, for sure. Do you have a, uh, do you have like a one go-to kind of technique or tip that you find very helpful for anyone, especially like, like you're saying dog, like who doesn't maybe gets tired of being on camera and stuff. Do you have any particular technique or tip where you're like, this is what I do with people and they feel better or they forget about the camera. How do you, how do you make them feel good or forget about it in a way? Um, the most important thing is to spend time with them before you get the cameras out. If you come in first day with cameras rolling, it's, it just puts everybody on edge. I think it's, you know, I think we spent, we had dinner with Doug and we like spent the next day with him and barely even got cameras out until we did the first interview. You know, it wasn't, Mm. it was just really getting to know someone and, and also hearing what they want to say, you know, getting just like listening to what they want to say. And, um, I think that's important with anything is, you know, I'm when my road trip with Daniel, um, for off season, we had been friends for about um, six months, but we hadn't met in person. And so when I first flew out and spent time with his family, um, you know, I, we drove half, I, I think I only had the camera out maybe a total of a couple hours for the entire first five days. You know, we were just, mm. you know, it, we were just getting to know each other and, yeah. and then halfway across the country when the, when his van broke down, he had an old Volkswagen, uh, we were uh, stuck in Denver or Boulder, um, then the rest of the crew joined and we, we filmed there and, 
And that was the other thing about that was that was the unexpected part was the mechanic shop with all these old crusty Volkswagen mechanics was one Those of my favorite parts. Those scenes look so good, and the, the, yeah. the guys were so charismatic. I'll I'll link the the video we're talking about guys uh, down below, but the the it was so charismatic. I'm like, what? <laughs> that, yeah, we couldn't have planned for that. We couldn't have scripted that. You know, that was just literally walking the shop. and was like, oh man, this is perfect. But we didn't know, you know, and. We'd, uh, we obviously we didn't plan on breaking down. It really delayed the entire trip a lot. We were there for five days, and um, yeah, there's a lot of crazy backstory to that whole thing too. Just about trying to get out west before Daniel had to start training again for the following season. So, um, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 about just getting to know someone and and letting those magic moment moments unfold, like the mechanic shop. You know, that was like I said, it wasn't planned. So. Hmm. Um, I think that's the most important thing is to set people at ease. You have to form a personal bond with them or not to say a bond even, but more of a trust. You have to, yeah. that trust has to be there. And, and also when I was telling Doug's story in Grizzly Country, you know, he had a lot of things that he wanted to say, but I really wanted to, I wanted his message. I felt like our country was divided enough and there were, his story was something that I knew could be relatable to all, all sides. Yeah, I mean, he was a Vietnam vet and he was a Green Beret medic in Vietnam and uh, and he like protects grizzly bears and and just he's an interesting character. I mean, he he was, you know, uh, that character Hayduke was based on him and in, in the Monkey Wrench gang for at the Edward mm. Abbey. Um, um, and so I, I didn't want to make come out in that piece and make it a super polarizing thing and further, you know, only be able to have people that are in the echo chamber that whatever, whichever side, you know, echo chamber they're in, you know, only yeah. see it, you know, I, I, I didn't want to alienate an audience by coming out in a way that would, would be polarizing. Um, and I really wanted people to get to know him as a person and get to know his story. And I kept saying, Hey Doug, like, okay, so you know, that our, you know, our, our environment and the, uh, you know, the habitat for these grizzly bears is being destroyed by a lot of man-made forces. And, you know, whether it's climate change or just, you know, the, the laws around him shooting grizzlies and protecting them. But I was like, what, you have a granddaughter on their way. What can you, what can you tell her when she's born to give her hope? Like, what would be the message that you would tell her? Hmm. And so I kept trying to bring it back to like, okay, if sometimes we feel like everything's lost and there's no hope, but why should we still hope? And, and ultimately it, it came down to this universal message that, we all want to protect the places and the things that we love. And, and out of that came these beautiful one-liners from Doug. I mean, he's like, you know, arm yourself with friendship. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're down, when you're, when you're down depressed, like get outside, <laughs> you know, it's the, that's the best cure for the metaphysical icky poos. You know, <laughs> like he just oh, yeah. had some of yeah, these that, like incredible so lines and like, and I just, I loved, I loved how, I loved how he just was able to bring those out. And, but it took, it took coming back to like, Hey, what, what is it that you're passionate about? What is it that you love? And so, um, there's no, there's no blueprint for how to do that. You kind of have to just feel it out in the moment. And, and, um, and it also it's like, even this is kind of a tangent, but I felt that building this home too, in this, you know, the studio and everything here, it's like, you know, you can draw everything out on a piece of paper, you know, I worked with an architect who's an old friend of mine and who um, I'd spent a lot of time with. And so we had all these ideas 
for how it should feel and everything. But until you're on site and building it, you don't know, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I added, added windows and took windows away and like shifted rooms around until, until the drywall got went put up, you know, it's so, like, it's just, it's, it was a lot of just standing in rooms at all hours of the day, looking at the light, looking at how things felt, looking at the views, because I can see the ocean from a lot of the windows and just figuring out how, how room was going to feel. And, um, it was so fun to, and that was a collaboration too. I, you know, I had a lot of, I would ask my friends questions and, you know, as people stopped in and see what their reactions were. And then also just later in the evening when I was just exhausted and didn't really feel like doing anything, I'd just go sit in a room or, and just feel how it would feel. And, or before mm. even the ground was broken on, on, on the property, you know, it was just still just a bare piece of land where I was like, you know, just a couple of trees and stuff. I, I would go and just sit in different spots um, there and just feel how it felt. And, and so I think it's a lot of, if you just have an idea fully formed in your head about anything and you're not flexible about that, you're just missing out on a lot of the potential and the magic of, of that story. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I, I see what you mean where it's like, uh, it's almost like a, a seed, right. For a plant. It's like, it's all compacted. You know how it can turn out, but if you don't let it grow its own way, it will never be the beautiful plant that you hoped. Otherwise it's going to be like twisted the way you want it, which is not its natural form or its best form. And, um, Yeah, I, lo I love what you're saying, yeah. Especially because a lot of time we get hung up on, no, we're supposed to shoot it like that. We're supposed to do this like that. This room is supposed to be like that. <laughs> but then it's like, okay, maybe it is, but w what if it's not like open yourself up to experiencing how it might feel in the moment? Uh, just going back to Doug, I love his line about uh, going to Mars or being in spaceships is not going to save us. <laughs> It's like, yeah. uh, nope, nature and going back and being in the wild is where we should concentrate our efforts. And I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah, a lot of people think the solution's somewhere else, but it's, nope, we're still a piece of earth and we're just belonging here. <laughs> and a lot of times the easiest thing to do is just to leave something alone and let it do its thing because nature has its own way of doing it. And so, um, yeah. You know, humans have always want to meddle and have impact. And so it's just sometimes you just, um, yeah, there's, you know, there's the other side of it too. If you just let a forest completely um, go, then, it, you know, the fuel load becomes crazy. But then we've seen that a lot with fire seasons lately. You know, it's like the, you know, you put out fires. So then the fuel load continually gets bigger and bigger and bigger uh, because yeah. nature take, took care of that in the, in historically by wildfires. And so yeah. by putting them out immediately, And then building homes right in the middle of wildfire country, it's, it's just, it's just, it's a really complicated issue and it's horrible. I've had a few friends lose their houses this year to wildfire and we had a really scary moment, you know, yeah. um, was like a 50 year wind event where the east winds were so dry. I mean, they, it happens a lot in California with the Santa Ana's, but in my time in Oregon, I'd never felt, uh, an east wind so violent and so dry you know mm. i would hang a wetsuit up after surfing it would be dry in like five minutes you know like completely wow. dry i think it was just i mean it was incredibly and you know we had fires burning on all sides of us here and it looked like mars and um you know it was it was really wild to, to see that and it was just another reminder of 2020 of how in a moment you know i was like well i spent the last couple of years building this house it could just burn up right now you know it could be gone yeah. 
and and it just to had my van packed and ready to just <laughs> drive away and with what I, my hard drives and everything else and so um and but one of my really dear friends uh mark mckinnis he um he was on a just a solo trip you know way up in northeastern oregon when those fires happened and you know he, he, he had been in the process of backing up his entire archives and um it was probably like a couple of days from like having you know really solid offsite backups for ever everything but he lost his entire his entire oh, no. archive all his cameras and all his belongings except for what he had in his truck and and we spent a lot of time together this last um this last while and we talk almost every day and um I helped him get set up, you know, his cameras again and stuff, but it's just, it's been really interesting. Um, I listened to his podcast on uh, visual revolutionary actually last night and just how I've seen it in him. He's just, he's so good at focusing on gratitude for what he does have in spite mm-hmm. of all, all that loss. And, um, you know, he's like, my mom and dad are, and stepdad are still here. You know, it's like they got out just in time, you know, and, um, and, but just, yeah, just, just his attitude, amidst losses was really inspiring to me. Um, just a good reminder this year that, you know, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with all the things that are wrong or not comfortable or, um, yeah. but just to instead shift that focus on the things that we can control and also that we have, you know, can be grateful for. Um, so yeah, it's almost like, I mean, the, the 2020 is like, uh, it's like the perfect street photography session for me in a way where it's like you go out And suddenly it starts pouring and everything goes to hell and you think you're not going to make it. And then there's this beautiful shotgun that comes out. And if you were not there, if not everything had gone wrong, you would never get that one uh, shot or that decising moment that that's going to kind of shift your vision for after. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird year because personally, and, and that's what I was saying to friends, for me, it's been a great year, um, whether it's financial whatever uh, it's been good on some personal level like family it's more challenging we we just had a daughter like before covid uh, so it shifts a lot of things and, and and so i can see that we're like part of it is like amazing part of it is like <laughs> super challenging and in the midst of it i cannot but i can't help but think back about my grandmother or my grandfather who were like my grandfather was like 10 or 12 years old and he was in a village in France and they were occupied by German Nazis, you know, at the time. And I'm like, this doesn't seem so bad. You know, it's more like, I feel like it's more like almost a wake up call or like a, a good, like, Hey, remember to like focus on what's important in life. And, uh, in a gentle way, I'm not saying like there hasn't been strategy. There, there has been, But for most of us, it's not as, it's a gentle reminder. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's not the country didn't go to war and we haven't been invaded and like have had our family hung because they want to cut wires of, of, of you know, of, um, of the occupation. So it's, it's a weird like shift where you're like, oh, I'm grateful. Oh, it's not great. <laughs> so it's like that balance I feel uh, that you have to deal with every day. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I think you said it earlier in the thing. It's a, it's a reminder not um, of what we had been taking for granted. You know, we had it yeah. really, really, really good for so long. And yeah. And and I think everybody was getting pretty apathetic because of that. And and kind of there's a lot of aimless aimlessness and, you know, just about just trying to figure out what would actually motivate. And I think now 
uh, you know, I think we're, everybody is realizing how much we did take for granted and, and just how much we're looking forward to seeing some of those things um, come back, you know. Yeah, and, just and if nothing gather. else but just travel. <laughs> travel yeah, travel is, and just, just gathering with friends, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, without freaking out all the time, you know. It's, um, <laughs> That's true. So. How would you... Uh, Oh, I want to be mindful with your with your time. I I kind of want to just touch on the on the last point where you've worked with a lot of brands and and different uh, people. And like we mentioned, Patagonia has somehow an organic feel. And of of the discussion we're talking about, Rivian, have you? How do you choose kind of the partners you're going to work with? And have you found those companies in your? You feel that they still exist or they exist in general? where they can actually let you have freedom of expression as a creative and not try to funnel you into a marketing pitch for the viewer. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you you tend to find whatever you set your sights on. And um, I I definitely had been thinking about what was next um, before my friend Larry, he's the creative or executive creative director at Rivian now. And when he reached out, it was I kind of thought it was too good to be true. <laughs> you know, I just, it didn't, it was, you know, nobody knew anything about Rivian at that point. And it was, you know, a year or two before they uh, revealed what they were doing. And, and so I was pretty skeptical at first, but then when I, the more I talked to them, the more I realized we had a lot in common and um, shared a lot of vision um, and, you know, getting to know, getting to work with Rivian has been really special because watching them grow quite quickly. Um, but also, having the storytelling be something that Larry just really wants to keep reinventing themselves, you know, and, and telling real stories and not making it just another automotive company that just tells, you know, has those hmm. standard car commercials that are just cookie cutter, you know, they're all kind of the same. Um, and so it was more about uh, human stories and, and, and I think that all comes from, you know, like I, we mentioned uh, uh, earlier, which is, you know, the founder, RJ Scrin, she's just, he's a very caring caring human being he's I mean, he's also a genius but he just how much he's um allowed you know been, been able to like allow people that actually tell stories is really special mm. um and like like we were talking earlier about um the one that uh my old friend jeff johnson made called the lucky ones um about that road trip to um uh, up, up to tofino to go surf uh it was just really cool to have them want to actually share my story and you know and And when, when it came time to release that and they had the Rivian logo at the end, you know, RJ was like, Hey, this story's about Ben. Let's put his book there instead, instead of our logo. And even though, I mean, we're in the truck the whole time. Um, but it just was, a, it was a really amazing gesture for a, a brand to say, Hey, this let, let's, let's shift the spotlight away from us. And because usually yeah. it's how many logo placements can we get into this thing and how, how big can we make the logo and how, much can we keep the focus on the brand yeah. and and i think when you build something organically like that and more of a family style which you know patagonia's been that way too you know for i've shot for them for a long time it's it's you t it tends to show in the work that and the creatives that they you know that they work with and so to answer your question i just i try to find people my only real business plan has been to just work with people that inspire me and that i care about um on stories that matter, you know? And so it's just, it's just, you, you kind of always want to surround yourself with people that make you feel good and, and, you know, just make life better. Um, but also just 
that push you um, to be a better creative too and just a better person. So I think I try my, you know, I try to like keep my clients the way I would want my friendships. You know, it's like you, you don't want to work with, mm. if you work with someone just because they're going to get you to where you want to be, it's a pretty shallow relationship, you know, but if you can yeah. find people that you really want to spend time with and really want to create content for it tends to elevate the work you're doing as well. So that's, that's such a great piece of advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. To keeping the, those business relationship like you would for your friendships. Yeah. It's true. It's not just about the dollar amount. And I've seen it with myself and also with friends whenever like we work with a brand. Let's say you work with your photographer, you've always used Lightroom and suddenly you're going to work with Adobe. You know, it's going to feel so much more organic for you and you're going to want to pour in more versus another software that you didn't know before. doesn't mean the software is bad. It just means that, you know, there's like emotional attachment to it and you're like, oh my God, yeah, let's, let's, let's do something. Um, it's great. Yeah, when I get great approached advice. by a brand or whatever, it's like, you know, you, know, you get all, all those you know, messages that say, Hey, like, we would love you to promote this, blah, blah. It's like, well, I was like, well, if A, is it something I even want to be involved with at all? And then B, yeah. I want to try it first. You know, I want to spend time yeah. with whatever it is. I don't want to just immediately be like, I love this <laughs> hashtag ad, you know, it's like, there's not, it's not going to, it's just, that's never been, but I, I, I love forming relationships with, with, um, with clients and brands and not, not necessarily, you know, and the people that work there. And so it's not necessarily the, yeah, I've turned down some things that would have been financially great, but they just didn't feel like they would, they yeah. felt like it would be detrimental in other ways. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. The, um, yeah, it's, it's such a good advice for anyone listening. Who's confused about Rivian. Just, I, I gotta say it. Rivian is a, is a automotive company who just like, I mean, they did, just didn't do it, but they basically uh, released a, a truck, so like a pickup and a SUV version of an adventure all-electrical vehicle, which looks also dope. And Ben, you've had the chance to to drive it and play with it, and you said it's it's awesome. Um, so yeah you, yeah, you can check it out, and you'll see uh, Ben's Ben's work also in it. Yeah, I mean, essentially, if you think about just a pickup, like it's a similar size, though, you know, a newer Tacoma. Uh, but with just, it's one of those products that, you know, it reminds me of like an iPhone. It just kind of, it works and it gets out of the way. Um, mm -hmm. it, everything, all these little things that a lot of vehicles were frustration points that they, they thought those through the things that people want to, you know, do when they take them, uh, take a truck out to go surf or climb or s snowboarding or whatever. They, there's these little, little subtle details uh, about how, you know, the materials and where, you know, like how the, the, the the top of the truck bed there's a little bit of a lip to it so your 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 edge of your skis or your surfboard don't like you know be right on the paint yeah. you know there's this little little subtle things and just how you know the materials of the floor and the you know and um i i've been in you know other nicer electric vehicles you know, like teslas and stuff and it just you know i can't imagine having a dog in there just like destroy it you know just everything just feels too nice you know but like yeah. it's in in the rivian trucks it's they're very um everything's really rugged and feels like it's made to use as a utility yeah. thing instead of something to like to polish every day. You know? And so, and, but also it's when you think about having a truck that normally the thing that we're always concerned with, like, you know, if you have a truck, they're going to be slow and mm. not, you know, not, you know, if you have powerful, then they're going to be gas guzzlers. And so you tend to, you got to find all these compromises, but you know, driving one of those, they go zero to 60 in three seconds and have up to, you know, 750 horsepower and, 
you know, you can go from like road mode at low with a low clearance to up to 14 inches or, you know, you have, you have this pneumatic suspension that adjusts. Yeah. And, and then something I never thought of is like, well, if you have a pneumatic suspension that's adjustable, if you park, it can level. And yeah. how many times you slept in your oh, van or truck and, and yeah. always are like stacking rocks on the side of the road, trying to like get level for like the two hours when you're exhausted and you know the fact that you can just park and it's like oh that's level. i never thought <laughs> it's of like that that's little awesome. things like that you know and so and then the gear tunnel that wasted space behind the front or the back seats mm-hmm. you know having a tunnel that fits you know i think like a 5.4 surfboard or like a 165 snowboard will fit yeah in that space and i've crawled in there and they shut the doors and it's like it's big enough for you to curl up inside but and then they that space is amazing because you have this additional space where you can throw your gear that's not on the bed of the truck. Yeah. Um, but it's not in the cab either. Um, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's just, but it also when you drop the door, it, it works as a seat or as a step to get up to yeah. the top of whatever's on the rack. And so it's just, mm. it's just thinking about things differently. And I love, I love working with people that are innovating in that way. And that's awesome. So. Yeah. When I saw it, uh, I, I was, because I remember when the Roadster, Tesla Roadster came out, like back in the day, because I had a Lotus Exige, yeah. one of the tiny sports cars. It's, it's contrary to whatever people think, if you get an old model, it's not expensive. It's not expensive. And it's just so fun to drive. And then I discovered the Tesla was the same chassis. So I was like, oh my God, it must be insane to drive. And then I followed Tesla for a long time and I've always wanted one. But then... Uh, when I saw the Rivian, I'm like, oh, that would fit a lot more <laughs> kind of what I want to do with the with the car right now, my idea for the future. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I almost pre-ordered, but then, yeah, not yet. <laughs> but that was pretty cool. Um, no, th- thanks, Ben, for, for sharing those insights. I think it's it's super helpful. And, and if we can leave anyone with that message of like not focusing so much on, on the financial gain from partnerships but more like what do you gain as an individual can you grow it's almost like a relationship between between you know like in a couple it's like you don't want just it's not just sex it's not just like a good time it's also can you grow together can you push each other in the right direction and i feel like a good business partnerships are also like that where can you go further together in the future and uh yeah so Thanks for that. No. Do you, yeah, do that's you a have, great way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you have yeah. anything um, you would suggest? Let's say someone who who might feel like a little bit low on on like creative juice, or they don't really know what to talk about, or like share lately. Um, when I say share, is like capture. What do you have any tip for them just to go off on the their week or weekend, wherever they are? Yeah, I mean, I feel like half the battle, I mean, it's kind of like when you're writing, it's half the battle just sitting down at the keyboard to write. Um, And I think sometimes you just need to, one thing that I found really helpful is, you know, find one lens that you really like or one lens that makes you uncomfortable, like one lens you'd never Mm -hmm. use and just go out and start shooting and and force yourself into a prime that maybe isn't your, say you're used to always shooting wide angle and you, you know, throw on the 55 or the 85, 135 or something and just or the macro and, and walk around yeah. and just see what you can capture. Um, and that oftentimes can spark kind of kickstart you into, you know, feeling, feeling something again. Um, I know for myself, it was really challenging during the pandemic, like to want to shoot. And it was when I swam out in the ocean and started, you know, filming and photographing waves that it's just, it got fun. It just felt fun again. Um, mm. it just, and I think I was just, 
there was all the energy into the book and into the house and everything else. And then all the, obviously all the anxieties, the global anxiety that was going on. It was just, sometimes it just felt like, what's the point? And, um, just getting out there and remembering that this is why I live here. I love the ocean. Um, waves are magical. I mean, they're pulses of energy coming from thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away. And it's just, yeah, just finding something that gets you excited and just going out and capturing that. Um, that's awesome. Great, great tip. Yeah. Especially with the lens, there is always that lens that we bought one day because we got excited and we never use it. <laughs> exactly. So Ben, thank you so much. Um, to everyone, we're going to link everything below and, uh, that way people can check out your work and, uh, thank you so much again. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, would you like to receive once a week a free short email with my top five inspirations, photos with settings, gear I've loved, and what I've been watching, reading, or listening to that really inspired my work and my life lately? If you want it, just go to pierrtlambert.com forward slash top five and you will be in. Every week you will receive that short email to set you off on the good vibe for the weekend and inspire you. Now with that being said, have an amazing day. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.